All right, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to episode two of Stick Talk. Here with Dan, Christian, uh, my co-host, and uh, Jennings in the guest chair for today. So welcome to the show, bro. Jennings the Priest. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. This is my first podcast. This is your first podcast? Yes, my first podcast. <laughs> I've been on awesome. radio before. I've never been on a podcast. And I think Scott, he's behind the camera, but Scott, was that mm. your first podcast with us on the first episode? Yeah. All right. Well, so a bunch of first podcast appearances to get us started, which is we're always, getting the guests uh, that nobody else can. That's yeah. That's a, that's <laughs> yeah. <a secret. laughs> so we're excited to dive in. Uh, we met Jennings through our coaching program, Client Ascension, uh, initially, and then we ended up meeting up in Sarasota area, area, which is like an hour south of Tampa, uh, to play a little golf earlier this year. Um, and then we just kind of bonded over our love for cigars. Uh, the Republican Party, politics, <laughs> just going to dive right into this head first. And uh, yeah, I mean, Christian, Dan, you guys have a question you want to get us started with? or Yeah, let's uh, just start it off by an intro because I feel like you have one of the most interesting digital business offers I've ever heard. Um, you operate in the niche or the industry with the deepest pockets, which is government. So props to you. Um, if you just want to give you know a little background into how you got into online business, how... Um, you got to the point you're at today and any pivots you made along the way? Uh, yeah, so I am a professional propagandist uh, <laughs> is probably the best way to describe this. Uh, I little bit of background, uh, started my career as a lobbyist. I was in the National Guard at the time as an enlisted infantry guy. Uh, when I commissioned, I became an intel officer and got super into targeting. Uh, and while I was at intel school, I decided that I wanted to leave the lobby firm that I was at. I went in-house for a client, and they were like, oh, you'll do sales development. It's basically the same thing as lobbying. We're selling to the government, and you'll write out your non-compete like that. Well, what I quickly found out was they didn't have any marketing. It's really hard to sell if they have a bad website, no real social media presence. It's kind of what uh, Wizard talks about all the time. like. <laughs> wizard you can't you can't close deals because nobody finds nobody knows that you exist online uh so i started learning facebook ads i started learning click funnels uh you know shout out to any people who started on click funnels and have since moved on to better platforms uh but that's how i got my start and long story short once my time under non-compete was up i made some friends who wanted to use digital advertising to influence legislators. My very first Facebook ads campaign in the political space was running Facebook ads where if somebody clicked on it, it would call a state senator. And we <laughs> sent hundreds of phone calls into like a handful of state senate offices overnight. Uh, we got the bill killed um, thanks to the calls. And I was hooked from that point. So... Uh, from there, I've had really good mentors. I learned how to do uh, direct SMS for political campaigns. So if you live in Florida and you've gotten political text, uh, there's a good chance I'm behind it. Uh, sorry, not sorry. And yeah, if you get if you get on his bad side, he'll opt you into every single text. And everyone has its sent. own opt out identity. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, how many texts did you get that day? Probably 20. <laughs> I'm like, I, who, where did my, what database is my phone number on? And I'm like, oh, Jennings. Yeah. I did it to my dad, too. That was actually pretty funny. 
and I put his <laughs> I put in the, his name in the system as dad. So when they were using first <laughs> names, it would say, "Thank you, dad. This is blank with blank candidate." And so if uh, if someone I don't like that might not be in the same party as your candidates, can I just give you their number? I'm not saying that that's <laughs> not, not publicly. Why are you asking him on a podcast? I'm not. To do... I'm not. I'm not saying that that's not an offer. Um, I might put that in the client ascension raffle next year. Is add the phone number of your choice to every texting campaign for 2024. All right. So just to kind of set the pace for the episode. So today is Veterans Day, and Jennings is a veteran, uh, and we're, so we're going to talk a lot about. America. We're going to talk a lot about politics. We're going to talk also a lot about business because it all kind of intertwines with the work that Jennings does. Um, but really interesting, you mentioned like ClickFunnels specifically, which we use at our business. That's kind of the funnel that got us into online business, into selling products online. And this is just like a personal story, I guess. But when I first started on ClickFunnels, they'd put out a bunch of resources showing you like the most successful funnels. And one of the examples that they had uh, in like that PDF was actually like Barack Obama using ClickFunnels to fundraise for his campaign. So I guess talk a little bit about how like marketing and politics all comes into play and maybe what your biggest lessons have been because it's really all the same. Yeah, I remember seeing that too. And that's when I started to make the click of like, oh, marketing applies to politics as well. Uh, and a lot of that had to do with old style politics and some of the older consultants out there uh, who I love and they've been great mentors over the years still really believe in direct mail, which I mean, you guys know I do direct mail, too, but the direct mail I do is slightly different. Um, and they still really believe in like TV and radio. And so trying to talk to them about the targeting abilities that we have digitally has been a little bit hard. Uh, but the biggest thing for politics taking over into like a normal marketing campaign, right? Unlike normal marketing on the political side, I don't just get to sell my product. I don't just get to sell my candidate or my issue. I get to trash the other candidate or issue too, <laughs> which is like probably my favorite part. Um, and while you can't do that, it teaches a really important lesson about targeting and why targeting is so important. I think it's so common for people to be like, offer, 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 offer. And the offer is important, but really it matters uh, that you know who your target is. A great example of this, I sent out a text uh, this cycle about a candidate who lost by 16 points. Um, <laughs> and Not your candidate, right? Not my candidate. It was, uh, it was my candidate's opponent. Uh, and the way we structured it was we were talking about how our candidate's opponent was this hardcore right-wing MAGA Republican which he had made enough posts that we had like the backup, right? Because we can get sued if we say something that's untrue. We had enough there to say this. Well, the red wave happened, so that could have been really bad, but we only texted it to Democrats. So we texted this to all the Democrats saying that this guy is a hardcore MAGA Republican. Not with the purpose of, hey, we're going to get this guy elected, but hey, we're going to make sure that the Democrats don't show up and vote for him. Because we saw the polling numbers, the writing on the wall was he was pulling enough Democrat votes where if he pulled a handful of NPAs in, we could have been in a bad place. Mm. So you have to think more about your targeting. And I feel like there's so many people who are like, it's offer, it's copywriting, it's copywriting, it's the message. And like, yeah, it is. But your message has to connect with 
your target. And if you don't know who your target is or you have terrible targeting, right, which is the other thing I see all the time in politics and in marketing is people are like, oh, I'm just going to put this out there. It's like, no, like, let's talk about targeting. Let's talk about, like, reaching the right people with your dollars because even if it's more expensive to reach somebody in a targeted manner, it's going to save you money in the long term because you're not getting on bad sales calls. You're not... Um, you know, you're not getting a email list full of people who can't afford to buy you. Yeah, it's kind of like the cold email strategy that we teach to people in our uh, coaching program. And what we also implement for our clients is like the order in which you put together an effective marketing campaign or cold email campaign is it has to start with identifying the target market. Like, who are you actually speaking to? Because Christian, he does the copywriting at our agency and how would he be expected to write effective copy if he doesn't know who it's being written for? And so I think that's a that's a great takeaway right there is like start with identifying who this is actually for. Who are you trying to speak to? And maybe, Christian, you could talk about how that funnels into writing good copy. Yeah, so the best example I can give, um, I always go back to e-com because it's such a popular niche to go after. Um, say you want to go after brands for email marketing and you write copy that's directed to any brand in the world it's going to be relevant to every brand but no brand is going to be interested enough to want to get back to you um, well i shouldn't say no brand but not enough brands to make an impact for your business um, on the other hand if you go after you know um, let's say women's jewelry brands that are headquartered in california um, and you're from california you could write a, a piece of email copy that says you know love supporting you know jewelry brands here in my home state of california Checked out your website, love what you're doing. I'm curious, are you looking for anyone to help with your Clavio strategy? That just builds trust, it builds credibility, um, shows that you did your research, and then it's gonna get you that conversion. Um, so I guess Jennings, how does this, what I'm talking about with like the copy for email marketing, Clavio to e-com, how does that correlate into writing a political text to people to either get your audience to vote for someone or to not vote for someone like what do you say in the copy that's going to make someone that's reading it go oh shoot i need to vote for this person or oh shoot this person sucks kind of deal yeah it really comes down to a handful of things on a macro level we're looking at polling data right for the issues that are most important and it's really important to have good polling which is why you know most of the time i'm not running a race by myself i'm coming in as the texting consultant as the digital consultant as the ads consultant uh, so I have great GCs to work with, general consultants, who have good polling data. And, you know, big difference between one of the best GCs in the state, who I'm fortunate enough to work with, and a GC who was less than qualified to run the race that we were working on. Uh, he came in at the last minute, brought me in to help save the race. The polling data just wasn't there. So... Uh, the poll that they had floated didn't mention affordability at all, which affordability was the number one issue in the nation across parties. So we drove the word affordability on every single political text this cycle. Like, you didn't have a text that came out of me that didn't say affordability. Right, so that's like the most relevant pain point for every single person. Correct. Yeah. And that, that's at a broad level, right? There are great systems where you're able to cross-reference political data with consumer data like hey this person has a subscription to like car magazines or boat magazines or this person also has a hunting license like this person uh subscribes to the nra's list and then you can get really targeted on like this person wants to take away your guns so last thing if you have a list of people that like hunting you could write a text that said 
XYZ candidate, you know, loves hunting. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Um, we can even do the cool thing about texting is we can do smart dynamic fields in it, just like you can for emails where you can have like custom messages, kind of like first lines, but like specific pain points for like, Hey, these people are over 65. So we're going to talk to them about like retirement and fixed income or, you know, this person has a hunting license. So we're going to talk to them about hunting and do that all in the same campaign. Super interesting. Daniel, uh, the wizard that Jennings mentioned earlier in the episode, uh, our business partner, Daniel Fazio, who we run client ascension with, he talks about this all the time. Uh, and it's how he's kind of like formulated his YouTube strategy. Like he'll watch videos and, and look at people that he wants to work with or thinks that uh, they're a good fit for our program. And he'll listen to like the specific terms or the words that they use and then use that in our marketing copy. So like, we run a coaching program for agency owners. That's what we refer to them as, agency owners. But what Daniel like discovered this week is not everyone knows what an agency is and not all of our potential students identify as agency owners. So what did he do? Well, he changed the copy to B2B service providers. He changed the copy to consultants, to coaches, to SDRs, to be more inclusive of like all the types of people we can work with. And this week we saw like an instant boost in opt-ins, calls booked, mm -hmm. conversions. And so it's just it's really fascinating to me to see like the correlation between the work you do and the work that we do, like politics and marketing is all the same. One, one interesting difference though, is I feel like the barrier to entry is much higher for what you're doing. Like you had to work in there for years. You're also a veteran, which probably helped to break into that industry. Whereas like with cold email, we just started up an agency had no credibility. You know, we get them on the phone. We're like, oh, if we can get you on the phone, why can't we get your customer on the phone? Like very easy to just like spin up an offer, send out emails, hop on a call, close the deal. Can you talk about, I guess, just like working in an industry with the plan of becoming like an entrepreneur and a leader in that industry? Or was it not ever part of your plan? Did you kind of just like stumble into it after working there for a couple of years? So my plan was always to be a partner at a lobby firm. That's what I wanted from the moment I decided that I wanted to go into politics. Uh, I had uh, my late aunt, who was like a mother to me, was a partner at a lobby firm. That was, that was the dream, right? Um, what I found out was the lifestyle wasn't there. Uh, and what I mean by lifestyle is when you're a lobbyist in Florida, Florida has a 60-day legislative session. You work really, really intensely for 60 days. And then the rest of the year, some lobbyists like work really hard and they develop business. And then yeah. some lobbyists drink the rest of the year. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't ever a conscious decision of I'm going to start my own thing. It was a decision of like, I have these opportunities in front of me. Uh, but to your point with the barrier to entry, everyone who gets started in politics works for free. Like, I started working for free on the Romney campaign back in 2016? No, 2012. 2012. Um, cold calling for Romney and knocking doors for Romney. Like, that in like low level in a Tallahassee office, not like anything fancy or dramatic. I got to meet like Mitt Romney's son, was like the highlight of my campaign <laughs> um, at a tailgate, which was pretty cool. Uh, but. It, it, there's definitely a barrier to entry there. And I mean, it's taken me 10 years of working with some people to get them to be like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do texting now. Like we're going to do these things with you now. You've been talking about them forever. Um, you know, 
one of the top consultants in the state who I've considered a mentor and a friend for a long time, uh, just started using me for texting this cycle. Like, and it, it takes a while because one, you have to prove you're competent and you're trustworthy and all of that. And two, the business is on two year cycles. Like, I mean, I had a crazy month this month. I had a crazy month last month, but there's not going to be a lot of political issues. There's some, there's local issues. There's some state level issues that I get involved in that aren't campaigns, but it's still a very cyclical business, which is why I do or why I'm building out some of my offers with like, Hey, direct mail for businesses, or we've done SMS campaigns for businesses. Um, mainly because I get bored in the off season. It's probably the hardest part about working in <clears throat> yeah. politics. Interesting. So I guess follow up question to that, like if somebody else wanted to get into politics, if they came in with the intention of like, Hey, I want to run a business that does digital marketing for politicians. Is there any shortcuts or is it kind of just like, Hey, you really just have to put in the time to, to create that credibility. So I'm actually really tempted to test this because okay. I've, I haven't done any marketing for myself and for my own business. Uh, it's all been direct relationships and direct referrals is how I've built everything. Uh, there are some groups of political consultants out there that, um, are basically like associations for consultants. And I think Limlist, uh, that software took that list and did a lot of cold email outreach Mm. to try and build their business out. Uh, And I think I have the testimonials now to really drive that. Uh, But the best way to get into politics, and I get asked the question all the time, how do you get into politics? Go show up at a local race and knock doors. Like, I have a case study now that kind of shows that door knocking is not as effective as everybody said for years, uh, myself included. Um, but nothing convinces a candidate that you're all in for them, like going and sweating and knocking doors in the Florida heat. Yeah. Along the same lines, I feel like the topic of networking is magnified and, um, just made way more important in politics. I don't know if this is you agree with this or not, but I feel like in politics, it's like who, you know, you know, connections, political connections. So how do you, you personally, and then how can anybody just like you were mentioning before, like make the connections, you know, build the high level relationships with people that refer you business and just really make a name for yourself outside of the, the blood, sweat and tears. Like you kind of just mentioned, I forget who talked about this at the client Ascension event, but somebody talked about, don't be a weirdo. It could have been Brian. Yeah, it was Brian. Yeah, it was Brian. <laughs> yeah. Don't be a fucking weirdo. Like, yeah, no, no, that excuse was exact my French. Quote. I'm trying yeah. to, I'm, I'm trying to stop swearing so much. Um, but like so many people are just weird, yeah. like, yeah. especially in politics, man. Like there are so many people who, because by the way, making money in politics. Yeah. It's kind of an elite class, right? But anybody can get involved in politics. Anybody can show up in an REC meeting, regardless, uh, Republican executive committee. It's the local, it's like the low level local party. Anybody can show up there. And there's weirdos who show up. Um, And I think you also have to like really take into account like what you're trying to do. Because are you trying to win races or are you trying to make money? And if you come into a networking environment with like, oh, I'm here to build my business and I'm here to like, you're going to turn people off. Yeah. Like you need to go out 
you need to be there to have some drinks with the boys and help a candidate win. Like, yeah, no. And that's the caveat. That's what Brian was talking about. He was like, you can hide behind your threads, cold emails. And he's like, that stuff actually works. But he was talking about showing up physically, like going to in-person events, mm -hmm. being in those circles, like with people where you can actually shake their hand, being a person of value and then just not being a fucking weirdo. So yeah. I think that's something that plays, especially in politics, like be there physically, be a person of value don't be a fucking weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. So from your experience, like I put out a tweet last night, funny enough, that said like, if you're with someone that's influential and all you're doing is fanboying, like, dude, I loved your thread. That YouTube video was great. Like, you're so cool, blah, blah, blah. Like, they're not going to want to associate with you on a friendship relationship type level. Mm -hmm. They're going to see you as a fan of their brand. But if you come to someone and you're like, oh, what do you want to drink? Like, how's, you know, go, go approach that girl. Like anything that's way more... It's just it's a good way out there example, but go ahead. That, that's what I put in my. Imagine being at like a political it's what event. I put in my you're like, yo, go approach yeah, that. Okay. <laughs> just like cool, like casual banter oh, back and Pelosi? forth. Talk. <laughs> like, yo, we going to Pelosi looking bad over there. <laughs> no, but that was an example that I used. <laughs> Those things be thinging. <laughs> That I was, was just picturing a political Pelosi. event where you're like with the boys. Can, can we like, not talk about Pelosi that. like that? Because that's just a. Girl. I'm getting weird one, images. Was, uh, I guess two things worth mentioning about Pelosi. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but Tulsi. <laughs> but Tulsi. All right. So what I was saying is, if you can approach someone with value and with influence, a politician, and you can have like a regular conversation, like, "Oh, how was your golf round?" Like, "Oh, I shot a seven on hole four. Like, I suck." That kind of conversation is what's going to get you that connection and that relationship and lead to the business that you tried to achieve by fanboying them and, you know, boosting their ego. So do you want to talk about just be, being able to have a regular conversation with someone that has a lot of power and has something that you want, whether it's their business, their connections, their relationship? How does just being a cool person give you, like, a nice ROI on, on the relationship? Every valuable relationship I have built has come from me not knowing who the person was. Uh, almost yeah. every single one. Yeah. Uh, to include my wife, by the way. Like, I have a great story on how I met her and some political propaganda, but... Um, Talk about so it. So, I, I, I will get to that eventually, because it, it's a great story, and... Um, but the the first real connection I made in politics outside of, uh, you know, my Aunt Stacy, my uh, family wasn't super involved in politics growing up. Um... My dad knew I was into politics. He called the head lobbyist for Outback uh, Steakhouse International at the time, now Bloomin' Brands, because uh, my dad runs Carabas. And he's like, hey, I want to get my son tickets to, to P5, which is presidential debate, Republican presidential primary. And we showed up, and I sat next to this woman who had actually been the hookup for the tickets. Uh, her name's Marianne Johnson. Um, and we just started talking. I had no idea who she was. And as we started talking and found out that she's the political director for the Florida Chamber of Commerce, like she helps decide who the Florida Chamber of Commerce is going to back for their elections. But by being a normal person, talking about how I wanted to serve in the military, talking about like, hey, you know, I'm planning on coming to FSU. At the end of the night, she said to me, when you get to Tallahassee, come to my office and we'll find something for you. And she was how I got the internship on the Romney campaign ended up interning with the Republican Party of Florida uh, for a while after that. And then I ended up uh, interning with the Florida Chamber of Commerce, which really kicked off my career. And it's all thanks to one high-quality connection that was not me fanboying. It was I was sitting next to this woman who, one of the sweetest, nicest, most brilliant political minds 
you'll ever meet. Like one of the few people in politics who I just I cannot say enough good things about her. Yeah. But it was not a fanboying relationship. Um, same thing with my wife. I was not like fanboying my wife. And I feel like guys do this all the time. They put women on a pedestal. They put like the girl that they want to be with on a pedestal. And then they act like weirdos around them. My wife showed up to a protest that I was organizing. Um, <laughs> so romantic. So romantic. Very romantic. Um, and I was like kind of interested. I just got out of this relationship. And didn't she have a date with somebody else? Yeah, yeah. So that's the story. She had this date with this guy that uh, coming up that Friday. And she's like, yeah, I'm going on a date with. I'm not going to say his name because he still works in politics. Uh, and I'm like, you know, he has herpes, right? <laughs> Anyway, she didn't go on the date with him, and now we're married and have our second kid on the way. But um, <laughs> that that's I, looking back on it, I'm not proud about wine. I mean, who knows? It was Florida State. One in four people at Florida State has some type of STD. But um, look, again, it's, it's not a fanboying situation. And I think so many times, like, people put Dan on a pedestal. People put you guys on a pedestal. And then they act like weirdos around them. Like all the time it happens the same thing in politics people you know have an opportunity to you know and given i have pictures with politicians on my facebook page because you know it was cool to meet mike pence yeah. like that's that's a cool thing to do but i remember having the conversation with my aunt stacy about like hey i noticed that actually successful lobbyists never post pictures with these guys and she's like yeah i mean you're young right now so do it because it's cool and it makes you feel good but like long term you're not building a relationship with somebody if you're constantly like just taking selfies with them and walking off. Like you're you're not building a relationship with somebody if you're like, um, excuse me, Mr. Representative, sir, can we please do this? Cause I'd like to like people just get so weird. And at the end of the day, politicians are normal people. Like most of them. Like the Republicans in Florida are normal people. Like they're good people. Um they're people that you want to go out and have a beer with or like play around to golf with, have a cigar with. Um but you never get there if you're like, oh, it's, you know, it's the mayor. Like, <laughs> yeah, call him Madam Mayor. Like, show show respect where respect is due. Give honor to whom honor is due. But don't be a weirdo. Like, stop idolizing these people. Yeah, I think that's so important. Um, and I guess it's easier said than done too, because you'll find yourself in these situations where someone you really look up to is like there. Uh, and I feel like just having like the self awareness of it's in your best interest to approach the situation is if you're on the same playing field, yeah. right? And just to be like a normal person. And it probably takes experience. Like maybe you could talk about like how when you first got into politics, you might have now matured into being able to better handle yourself around these types of people. Like, do you feel that's true? Oh, 100%. In just networking in general, I think that's a skill that you develop over time. One, you have to stop having such a high view of men, right? And I mean, like, humans, not just, like, men. But you need to have a higher view of God than you have of anybody else. Um, that really comes into play because once you realize that God created all of you, you're all made out of the same dust, you can approach people with a lot more of a normal demeanor. Uh, you also have to stop looking down on yourself. And I feel like that's, that's one of the harder things to do is guys will be like, well, I can't do this because X, or I can't do this because Y. And, hey, everybody did something super, super messed up in their past. Like, every single person, every politician, every person in this room, like, 
we're all sinners in the hands of an angry God. And once you get over your stories that you have about yourself, you're going to be a lot more free to start building and developing those relationships. And this episode comes at a really interesting time because I believe next Friday, right? Or this upcoming week, you're going to uh, Warrior Week, it's called. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of like, I would say, based on the stories you've told, like your origin story of where you know, things in your life and, and relationships and politics, spirituality, business, they were kind of at a low point and you found this community, you found this event that kind of lifted you out of that. So I guess speak to that experience a little bit and how like men uh, or leaders in business can find communities or events similar to Warrior Week or even Warrior Week itself uh, to really like level up and, and kind of be reborn in a sense. Yeah, um, Warrior Week's interesting and a great example of not fanboying, right? Um, so I know most of the viewers here are probably big Twitter guys, so they might not be familiar with Warrior Week. But if you spend a lot of time on Facebook over the past 10 years and you're a man who's over the age of 18, um, particularly if you're a married man, you've been targeted by Wake Up Warriors ads. Like, period, every man in America. And who's the head guy at that again? Uh, Garrett White is the head of Wake Up Warrior. Uh, Warrior Week is now a separate entity, which is run by Sam Falsafi, who is Garrett's gotcha. right-hand man. Um, so you've probably seen his ads. Cool guy, Lamborghini, G-Wagon, all the stuff that you want to see in ads. And uh, I was... My first warrior event, I think I was 23 years old because I was about to have my son or my wife was about to have my son. She was carrying him. Uh, I wasn't doing much. Um, and I went out and I got to spend three days at an event called Warrior Wealth training with Garrett and Sam. And I remember the first time Garrett came into the room and I was like, oh, it's Garrett. And like over the next few days, I was like, oh, Garrett's a normal guy. Like he makes dick jokes just like everybody else. Um, he like, he, he's, a, he's a normal human, right? And the same thing with Sam. And I actually get to see this cause I go out and, uh, I help with warrior weeks. Now I see people when they first see Sam for the first time and he's one of the scariest guys you'll ever meet. Like he, if you like put into an AI art software, like terrifying Iranian, like, guys, huge. He's, like, pretty jacked. He's built. He kind of looks like he's going to rip your throat out. He yells. He's and, But at the end of the day, he's such a nice, normal guy. And over the past few years, I've gotten to build a relationship with him and see that, like, oh, hey, Sam's just a fallen man, just like I am. Um, but Warrior Week, yeah, definitely had a big impact on my life. I was not a Christian prior to Warrior Week. Um, my business was not in a great place. I was really behind on my taxes. Um, I was not closing deals like I should have been. And I went out to Warrior Week. It was a big investment. And uh, the community that I found and the brotherhood I found of going through a painful event like that is like nothing else I found with any other group. I mean, the... Besides condescension. Way, way more than client ascension. I mean, uh, look, I love you guys, and I love client ascension. I think you guys are doing some of that awesome. Uh, but there, there's a difference between like standing in front of a bunch of men and admitting the worst thing you've ever done in your entire life, and you know, doing doing like typical business, yeah, um, yeah. typical business work. Like we'll just stand up on a call and admit we didn't control test. Quick question. Yeah. Everybody's like, no. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> you guys are getting the deep dark secrets. So uh, yeah, a little bit different. No, it it it's like deep dark secrets, and it's true physical pain. And I mean, if you watch like the Warrior Week videos, like you'll see like me. I'm pretty sure there's a scene of me just like sobbing my eyes out, like with men that I just met for the first time. Uh, men who are, by the way, like my best friends now. Like they're like I call them brother. Like we hang up calls, and it's like I love you. Yeah. And we actually mean it. It's a it's a very powerful thing. Uh, so quick plug, uh, I don't get anything off this, but WarriorWeek.com. Uh, Warrior Week seventy is next week. It's sold out. The next two events are sold out, but there should be two more events in twenty twenty three. If anybody is interested in that, yeah. Stemming off of that, obviously not as intense as Warrior Week. How does somebody? We we talk about this a lot. How does somebody surround themselves with a community of people that are in the same wavelength, the same mindset as them, because like we always talk about the biggest mindset shift you can have is being around other people that achieve things that they consider normal, that you consider outstanding. For example, running a really successful, profitable business to someone just starting seems unfathomable, unfathomable, unrealistic, but to the people you're around, it's completely normal. So it just switches your mindset to think that this, this kind of stuff is achievable. It's normal. Um, so can you just speak to, you know, how someone can surround themselves with that kind of a community? Clientascension.com. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, one, don't be a weirdo. <laughs> like it keeps coming back to that, right? Like have to be a normal person and you have to like be somebody that other people want to hang around around. And maybe your value is not that you run a business, but maybe your values that you know about cigars. Maybe your values that you know about wine. Maybe your values that you have something interesting to talk about. Right. Um, Maybe your value is that you're a good listener and you make people feel good about your about themselves because you can listen. Um, and I, I'm sorry to butt in. I honestly think the answer to that question is pretty simple. You just have to do it. Like yeah. if you want to be a better man in all areas of your life, which it sounds like Warrior Week is helping you do, you just join. Like people in that group, based on what you were just saying about taxes and whatnot, we're probably all in like a vastly different financial. Mm-hmm position but you were just like okay i'm gonna do it like if i want to be in a group of agency owners you join client ascension you just do it if i want to be in like you know the republican scene in tampa florida i'd go to some type of convention like it's all public information i feel like it's just like actually taking that step and just getting over like hey i'm not going to be on the sidelines anymore i just need to do it it's really not that like complicated of an answer you just got to actually do the thing yeah 100 percent. nobody wants to do the thing right uh or they do the thing and they end up acting like a weirdo um, showing up at Republican events. Like there's always somebody who's there and is like wearing an American flag for their clothing or dressed as a Minuteman and like, cool. Like you'll get pictures. Like, I don't Have you guys ever been to CPAC? No. I okay. Go. So there's a huge political act, uh, conservative political action conference. Used to go to that, have crazy, crazy stories from it because you have a whole bunch of college kids who are all crazy Republicans who are just getting drunk out of their minds. Um, really, like... America. <laughs> look, yeah, sorry. If I was a Democrat operative, I'd go and just record that because everybody who goes to CPAC ends up, like, in politics eventually. Most people do. Um, but you have to go and you have to be a normal person and you have to not be a weirdo and you, ha- like, you end up... Uh, you know, I ended up at parties with people at CPAC who are now state senators, state representatives. Um, Doing you know, keg stands with Ron DeSantis. They're, <laughs> they're, dude, they're on like the governor's staff. And you go and you meet people and you have a drink and you act like a normal person. Like that that's the biggest thing is whatever you want to do. You want to get into politics? Great. 
go find the next political event in your town. Show up. Don't be a weirdo. Like you want to like get into businesses. Like cool. Like join client Ascension. Like start talking to people on Twitter. Like I was friends with, you know, Dan on Twitter before I ever ended up in client Ascension. I think, you know, I bought, I think I brought Christian's book and was like talking about how cool it was before I joined client Ascension. Like it was, and that's also just to butt in there. I'm pretty sure you didn't even have a sales call. No, we I didn't have like, a sales call. We were just like, who is this guy? And Daniel was like, oh, I know him from Twitter. He's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I texted, uh, I was texting Dan because I, I really, I wanted to be with some other agency owners because there's not a lot of agency guys. Are there, in, there's one other agency guy who's in uh, Warrior Week uh, and he's in a different group than I am. And I was really looking for some agency specific help. So I'm like, Dan keeps talking about this thing. Like, let me send him some like Twitter messages and I'm like, look, you know, my agency's a little bit past this like starting point. He's like, well, we have mastermind. And I'm like, cool. Like, how much is it? And he's like, this much. And I'm like, cool, send me an invoice. Like, I'm done. Um, which is the other thing. Like, a lot of you guys could probably skip a sales call. Like, if you know you want to do something, like, short of like, you know, obviously barriers to entry are important. I think that's something Dan's talked about recently. Like, hey, let's make sure people joining aren't like full of crap about like their numbers. Um, but like, if, if you know you want to do something, don't make the salesperson sell you on it. Like, that's just annoying. Yeah, I think the biggest change that I had was Andre, freshman year of college, approached me about doing a podcast. And instead of like, oh, let me think about it. Let me do my due diligence, like, blah, blah, blah. I just said yes. Like, I had no clue what a podcast would entail. No clue how it would go. I didn't even know if I was going to be good at it. I just said yes. And we started out with probably the worst podcast episode of all time in the incubator. Um, and it just evolved into... A friendship, a business, this podcast here today. So it's all about just blindly, blindly saying yes, right? Just going for it. Yeah, and just to build on that, every successful businessman I know has a hard time saying no. Like that—that's like one of the most universal qualities of success in business is people who are terrible at saying no. And by the way, like long term, that's not sustainable. But getting started, say yes to everything. And it—I did a thread on this recently. Of like people are like, I need to find my niche, and this isn't in my niche, and I need to be in this niche. And it's like, <laughs> hey, if you have under 10k MRR, you don't have a niche. Like, yeah. shut up, say yes to every client. Yeah. I don't care. Like, can you do that thing? Cool. Do, do like say yes, and eventually you get into a problem like I have, where it's like, oh, I said yes to too many things. I have to figure this out and like build some systems, which Andre's helping me with. Um, but like, the more you say yes the better and faster your business is going to grow, period. And the better and faster you're going to grow in general. What am I? There you go. No, uh, is he good? Yeah, okay. This actually segues into something that I wanted to talk more about, uh, which is like systems and operations, right? So you talk about like going out to these events, meeting people, having fun, having dinner, uh, connecting with like-minded people. Um, and on the back end, you still have a business that needs to run. You have clients that you need to deliver services for. You have daily tasks that need to get done. So one thing that uh, I'm super impressed by you with is like you're very well read, right? You have like really good systems within your business, uh, which of course, like we're working on those together as well, like to just kind of compare what works for each other. Um, but like talk about how you're able to balance 
both being like outgoing at events, meeting people, networking, and also operating an actual business. Cause I feel like that it's a tough balance, if, especially like you're on your own in a, in a sense. It's a tough balance if you make it a tough balance. And I think that's one of the biggest things is I have an obsessive personality and a lot of very successful people I know in business have obsessive personalities. Uh, I've always had an obsessive personality. Um, so I'm very, very obsessed with reading. I, if you guys have seen my office, it's like 90% bookshelves. Um, I make time every morning. I wake up I, before my wife does, before my son does. I go, in my mor go do my morning routine, which, by the way, um, like your morning routine, if it becomes a superstition, like, I totally agree with Hormozy on that. Like, having one is great, especially if you have a wife and kids to, like, hey, like, spend some time on yourself before you, like, start the chaos of the day. But I prioritize those things. And I also specifically deprioritize stuff that I don't like doing. And I do that more and more. And the more I do that, the happier I am. I have a laundry service now because I hate doing laundry. I have a maid who comes because I hate cleaning. And I hate, like, making my wife clean when I hate cleaning. Um, it, it's not... It's not about like trying to like strategically find a balance. It's about making sure that you have the bandwidth that you need by not doing the things that you don't want to do. Same way I've lost weight, by the way. I stopped eating foods that I don't like. I eat steak, like basically every meal. I eat steak and a carb. Um, and I've lost like 10 pounds doing it. Um, I hate cardio, so I lift. And I go on long walks. Like... And by the way, this can be terrible advice because if you're like, oh, I hate working or I hate waking <laughs> up early or like, uh, I hate eating like protein, like, okay, you, you need to work on yourself. Yeah. You need to work on those things. Nobody hates making money though. Yeah. Nobody actually people do hate making money. Like there's so many people who hate making money, dude. Why do you think that entrepreneurship is so rare? It's because people hate making money. Like I think they, I think they hate the work that's associated with it and like the ownership you have to take in order to be decent at entrepreneurship. But they don't hate make it like everybody gets that dopamine hit when you see a check come through. I think so. At least. I mean, then why do people go spend six figures on college to work at a forty thousand dollar a year job? Like they don't actually want to make any better. I was well, gonna say it's the system. You're you're giving the most risky unqualified loan to like eighteen year olds because it's yeah what the thirty year olds and the forty year olds and the fifty year olds that taught them K through twelve told them was the right path. I, don't, I think that's more of like a chalk it up to the game thing than I, I, those people not liking money. I respectfully disagree because I think people make as much money as they want to make at the end of the day because there's plenty of talented people who could go make more money. They just, they're happy and they're content with their lives. Yeah, they're just, set, they're just content. They don't want to advance. They're, they have no motivation. Ambition. To, it's an ambition. It, it, it's an ambition thing and it really comes down to like, Hey, what do you want in life? Because I truly, I genuinely believe this and not in like a woo-woo law of attraction thing. I believe that you will get whatever you want in your life. You just actually have to want it. And most people don't even know what they want. Mm. Um, most people don't know that they can want more than they have currently and they don't work for it. Um, I, so I agree with you. There's a work ethic uh, component, but I think there's tons of people out there and it's one of the hardest things to deal with as an entrepreneur. It, by the way, this ties into hiring. There's so many entrepreneurs who won't hire because they're like, oh, this person is going to steal my business and this person like they don't want that responsibility, dude. Yeah. Like th they just want like a steady paycheck um, and 
getting past that point of not everybody wants what you want will change your game in hiring. And it's hard to like conceptualize that because it's not natural to you to think that way. Yeah. And I think that's why like like for us, it's like who doesn't want to make more money? Like that makes no sense. But like you said, you brought up some good examples of like people are just content with collecting a paycheck and getting by with a nine to five, which is completely fine. Yeah. It's yeah. whatever they want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say Gary V did a video where he said some of his billionaire friends are way more miserable than his friends that make 40,000 and play soccer twice a week and watch sports and play video games. And it's just to each their own, I guess. Right. Yeah. You, you have to decide what you want. And I mean, I've worked with two billionaire clients, billionaire with a B and both of them wanted that lifestyle. And I remember talking to one of my mentors who was helping me on the project with one of said billionaire clients. I'm like, man, I'd love that life. And he's like, Hey, there's a lot of exit points on that road. Like, you, you will get offered so many opportunities to have a lifestyle business, and you have to decide the overall lifestyle that you want. The issue is most people want a lifestyle. Most people actually want, not say they want, because everybody says they want a Lamborghini. Everybody says that they want to be a billionaire. Everybody says they want to have, like, go on a yacht. What they actually want is probably pretty close to what they have. Um, and the other thing is you have to deal with the question of what are you going to do when you get what you want? Yeah. Now it's getting deep. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You have, you have something? something? Uh, Go ahead. I, I was going to just, you know, do a quick pivot and just like a nerdy, nerdy little pivot to direct mail. Dude, I was, <laughs> was going to bring that up too. That's because I, all right. So some background, he does direct mail in a really cool way. has a great data set going back to targeting. I did it for my brother's company. So he doesn't really have like a, a company company, but he does masonry. Does really good like stonework, concrete, brick, tile, all of that stuff. And I was like, let's just test this out. It costs not a lot of money. I mean, I won't you know say prices or whatnot, but well over a 20X return on investment within two weeks. So I feel like it's just one of those blue ocean things. And I want to like hear your take on who it actually works for. Is it just like a B2C play? Is it also B2B? Do you want to just expand on direct mail quick so it's very clear? Oh, yeah. So direct mail, like physical mail that you would receive in your mailbox where it looks like on the outside, it's handwritten. Inside is a letter where, you know, he knows the stuff when it comes to design and just short and sweet copy, similar to, you know, a good cold email script, pretty short form, conversational plain text, clear call to action. But yeah, we're talking about like literally like a, a piece of mail in an envelope. It sounds archaic, but man, it like from my ex short experience, it works. So yeah, it's just a form of lead gen. It's just like cold calling. It's just like cold email. So direct mail. Yeah. Talk about the opportunity there. Yeah. So direct mail rips. Like I have not seen it fail yet. Uh, we're doing a big uh, direct mail campaign for my wife's company this week. Um, and I'll, I'll be very clear with the price. It's $1.69 a letter, uh, letterlobster.com if you're interested. Um, I'm really into, uh, I got really into Jordan Peterson when I started my business, which is why everything's lobster, if you were wondering. Um, but direct mail is a opportunity that people are missing out on because everyone's like, oh, well, nobody else does it. Nobody else does it, and that's why it works. Like, yep. how many cold emails do you get in a day? A lot. Yeah. You just yeah, have a blue a ocean strategy. Yeah. Uh, how, 
it's yeah, it's blue ocean one hundred percent. And by the way, it doesn't look like a sales letter, which is why it gets opened and it gets yep. into the house. And in terms of marketing in general, based on my short experience with this once again, the positive intent response rate is like ninety five percent. Like you got like twenty people asking for a quote. Only one person was just like, hey, I just wanted to like some somebody reached out to tell him he wasn't interested, not even in a dickish way, probably just somebody who had too much time in their hands. But everybody else was like, this is so cool. You know, it was handwritten. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. The letter was nice. It's good to see like a local company doing this, yeah. like extremely high positive intent rate. And then I also just circling back to my question beforehand, is this just a B2C play or can it work for B2B as well? It needs to be a high ticket offer is what I will say about this, but it doesn't necessarily have to be B2C. Uh, we're doing it actually for a client. He's dropping the letters in the mailbox tomorrow, B2B play. He has a staffing and recruiting firm and it works because people don't get letters and people don't get handwritten letters. Uh, so what happens is a robot literally holds a pen and handwrites their name on the envelope handwrites everything, and then an actual normal stamp goes on it, not like one of these business class like um, mass stamp things that happens. Uh, so it looks like a normal letter, and it gets opened because it's like being a normal person and not a weirdo kind of. Um, yes, just to cut you off, the sorry to cut you off, but just to interrupt, the, the copywriter in me wants to know like what goes into the copy on the letter that invokes a positive response. The handwriting on the outside. That, that's literally it. So it's, that gets you the open. That gets you the open. And then what's the body copy that gets someone to respond back? So it's personalized body copy. It's, hey, uh, it's very personal. Uh, every single one of these is, hey, my name is blank. I do blank. Um, it, you know, there's not like a cheesy first line or anything. Uh, it's just meant to feel personal. Uh, we put in a phone number that they can call or text to make it feel even more personal. We're using open phone for a lot of people that you could run it through like a go high level Twilio number two. Uh, this is what we do. Some pictures of the job. If that applies, like you're doing high end pools like my wife or masonry. Um, and that, that's really all that goes into it is, hey, this is what we do. This is who we are. If we can help, that's great. Same thing with our roofing client. Hey, you know, just a neighbor trying to reach out to another neighbor. I do think it works better for local business offers than like yeah. national business yeah, offers. Nice but it, you have that like trust built up. Yeah. Like, it's, hey, I'm reaching out and I'm serving this community. Mm -hmm. So is there a hook? Like, are you looking for new roofing or is it just like if you're interested in roofing, here's my number? So... Uh, the hook for the roofing company was basically uh, free roof inspection, and he'll bring you Whataburger if uh, he does your roof. Because <laughs> see, that's that's cool. That's he, awesome. He, that's cool. He, he's in Texas. He eats Whataburger all the time. We have the same accountant, um, and uh, that's how he ended up working with me in the first place. Uh, so the going joke has been Whataburger with him. So he'll inspect your roof and bring you Whataburger for lunch. Love that. Um, my, my wife's offer is just like, hey, like. One, we know for a fact you have a pool. Like, we know for a fact you live on this island. Uh, we know for a fact, like, we know these things about you. We work on this island all the time. You probably ask your neighbors. One of them's probably worked with us. Um, but the entire offer is like, hey, if you're thinking about remodeling your pool, give us a call. Text us. Yeah. Like, that's it. Super simple. So, also, do you just to cut you off. I actually got it. Dan, leaving us wow two for two on the exits Come on. <laughs> skipped bible study 
Jeez. Heathen. No, all good. Um, Great seeing you, brother. <laughs> good stuff. So I want to get really into the marketing trenches here. So there's like a pyramid of buyers. It's Chet Holmes, right? Um, there's like 2 or 3% of the people that are in the market for a new pool. There's another percentage of people that aren't in the market yet, but you could persuade them. And then there's like a bunch that are not in the market at all. Do you think these direct mail campaigns capture the people that are actively looking for a new pool? Or do you think there are people that get the letters, don't know they need a new pool, and then they're like, oh, yeah, I, I actually do want a new pool. Like, do you think there's people that get those letters that you turn them from not even thinking about it to wanting to order a new pool or a new roof from your client? So I don't think that we're hitting the people who are like, oh, I can't imagine getting a new pool right now. Now, maybe there could be some people in that audience only because pool remodeling is not an urgent thing for your house. Like, yeah, maybe you need a new finish. Maybe you've thought about it a few times before. And like, this is that opportunity. This is that like little push that you need to get over the line. So you're hitting the people that already know they need it and you're just bringing it to the top of mind. Yeah, basically. So... Uh, our our data sets, particularly for home service businesses, are great because we're able to not just target, hey, this person has a pool. We're targeting, this person has a pool, their house is over a million dollars, and they have at least 50% equity in the house. So we know for a fact that this person can afford a new pool. We know for a fact this person has a pool. And we know for a fact that this person is within the service area because you know we have to put the address on the envelope. Um, it's a really cool data set to play with. And same thing with masonry. We targeted houses that were over a million dollars and had at least 40% equity, I think was what we did for um, Joe's business. And it, it works well because you know that the person has money, you know, the person can't afford it. Now, do we know if that person just had a pool remodeled on last week? No, but you don't know that when you run a Facebook ad either. The only thing you know that with is like intent based marketing. So running Google ads, which kills for home service businesses. Like if you own a home service business or you work with home service businesses and they're not on Google ads, like get them on Google ads. I don't care if you're not a Google ads guy. Google ads are not that hard. Um, you're doing your clients a misservice if you aren't doing some intent-based marketing there. But it's 100% you're targeting people who could potentially buy a new pool. Yeah. But, you know, do they want it right now? Do they not? Who knows? But I guarantee you they remember the handwritten letter in a year when they want it. Very interesting. Yeah, you never know. Like, that's the whole thing with, like, sales and marketing, right? You have to actually ask the question. And that's, like, the, the hurdle that people have, uh, like, working with clients one-on-one -on -one at our cold email lead generation agency. Like, clients sometimes have a really hard time understanding why we're reaching out to people that might not be interested. And it's, like... That's the whole point of outreach. Like you have to actually ask the question. Like we could sit here and, and build a list and a targeting strategy that gives us all the indication that they could potentially be a good fit. But in reality, you only need a, a very small percentage of the people you reach out to to convert to make it a, an ROI. Mm -hmm. my, my wife needs one pool to convert because a pool, <laughs> a pool remodel is like... High ticket. 50000 to to $100,000. A roof is ten dollars to $20,000. A masonry job is... Uh, I'm not going to throw out his business numbers without asking him, but like it, it's a high ticket offer. Yeah. And that's the other thing is if you have a high ticket offer, it's way easier to sell. That's why I don't, you know, love you e-com guys. Like it's why I don't like work with e-com people is a lot of times we're talking with the exception of, oh, what's his name? Brian? Bro. 
Who's the who's the high ticket e-com guy? Brooke, Brooke, Brooke. He sells like Brooke. saunas for a lot of money. Yeah. So. Uh, like Brooke, like exception to the rule. Like, yeah, you can do some really cool marketing there. Uh, but yeah, short of running like search ads, you're not going to know for a fact the person wants what you want, which is why you should be running search ads. Yeah. And another takeaway from this is I feel like a lot of people get a preconceived notion in their mind like, oh, this will not work for my business. And then I ask why. And they say, because it doesn't sound like it would. I'm like, you at least try it. Like for my, from my experience, like cold email, everyone's like, oh, this offer's not going to work for cold email. It's so abstract. And I'm like, that's probably the offer that's going to work the best because it's so abstract, right? Yeah. Like direct mail. People are like, that's 1900s archaic. It's not going to work. You do it. It does really well. So if you're a marketer, I always say err on the side of go ahead and try it. And then if it doesn't work, fine. At least you tried. But don't just sit there and say, oh, cold email won't work. Direct mail won't work. And then not try it just because you have a preconceived bias. Like, for example, some of our best converting cold email campaigns are like we have a client that sells Zoom video hockey training to youth hockey teams and no, youth hockey directors are not getting cold emailed like a ceo of an e-com brand does and they do really really well because they're like oh yeah a hockey director gets an email from a guy that was a d1 hockey player and he offers to train the, the program's players they're like yeah let's talk about it or one of the students in client ascension does mixology events for corporate events so she'll hop on a zoom call with a corporate event and show them how to make a cocktail live on zoom and everyone's like oh this will never work with cold email and i'm like have you tried it? They're like, no. I'm like, so let's try it. And then it works. So I, I always say to err on the side of once again, trying something and failing as opposed to just sitting there and saying, oh, it's not going to work and not trying it. Yeah. It comes back to say yes. Yeah. Like say yes more and you're going to have more opportunities, especially for beginners. Like, right. Eventually you get to a point where you're like, yeah, I have to start saying no to some stuff. And that's the hardest thing to do is transition from saying yes to everything to saying no to everything. But a lot of people see like, um, you know, the Hormozies of the world and I love Hormozy, but you got to realize that the advice that works for somebody who's already successful is a lot different from the advice that works for somebody who is just trying to get started. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like the other thing to, to keep in mind here is like, don't be afraid to fail, right? Like, don't be afraid to get that rejection. And like Christian was saying, you'll never know unless you try. Uh, and from what I found, like my experience with marketing is typically when people don't believe that something is going to work, it's actually the thing that works. And if you just follow what everyone else says to do, you're not going to stand out. And that's all marketing is like, how are you going to stand out? How mm -hmm. do you expect to stand out if you're just copying what everyone else is doing? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And the boring shit works the best. <laughs> like the richest people in the world make doorknobs and glass and wheels 100 they're not manufacturing the next ai cloud software like yeah granted there are billionaires that do that stuff but the majority of people that are in the cushy country club driving their bentley's the rolls royces have a generational i don't know wood business or granite business right one of my clients sells tomatoes <laughs> I, I i'm not i'm not kidding he's uh he's not i don't like do marketing for the tomato company i do his political stuff because he has a lot of political business but he owns a tomato company and he lives an incredible lifestyle that I think most people watching this video would envy. But he runs a tomato business. Like, it's not, it's not this super sexy industry. It's tomatoes. So what you're saying is you don't have to start an agency. <laughs> you, you, you don't have to start an agency. Like, um, I almost said this to you guys this morning when we were talking about my wife's revenue numbers with the pool company. Like, 
don't know, go, go find a home service business. Like, uh, there's a guy on, and I terrible at remembering Twitter names apparently, but there's a guy on Twitter who does like window washing and he's built this huge business doing window washing. Super boring, makes a ton of money. Uh, my accountant is acquiring lawn care companies right now because lawn care companies make a ton of money and are really easy to market for, by the way, like, and have very low churn rates. Yeah, let's buy a lawn care company and do direct mail. Dude, lawn care company direct mail, like pool service businesses direct mail, like... Crush. Crush. And that's probably the one exception to high ticket, right, when I'm talking about high ticket. When I talk about high ticket, I'm talking lifetime value. I'm not talking like... Like one transaction. One transaction. Now, pools, obviously, that's one transaction with some lifetime value on the back end because you do servicing, but... Okay, this is all great conversation. We're running uh, a little short on time. There's one topic that I really want to get into, especially considering the guests that we have on uh, today, which is politics and how that, I guess, has an effect on business. Because I, I feel like business capitalism, like it all weaves into current, like the current political scene, right? And I feel like you are very qualified to talk about this. So a lot of young entrepreneurs in America are listening to this episode. And I feel like as entrepreneurs, a lot of times we try to put politics off to the side uh, and kind of stay within our own space, within our own tunnel of focus, uh, because we don't think it's worth our time to pay attention to. But speaking to young entrepreneurs in America that are out there, I guess, what are some things that they should be considering or looking out for uh, in the next few years? I'll start by saying that if you are using politics as an excuse to not do something in your business, that you're making a mistake. So I think a lot of times people who start getting involved in politics see the doom and gloom and they're like, oh, well, it's not, not a good time to buy a business right now. It's not a good time to start a business right now. Like, oh, the economy's crashing. Like, bro, the economy is a macro. Your business is a micro. Like, stop using that as an excuse to not be successful. Uh, but politics is the steroid of networking uh especially if you're a young entrepreneur you start showing up at political events you start meeting people at your local chamber of commerce which i know chambers of commerce are like this antiquated thing in a lot of young entrepreneurs minds because they're like i'm on the internet i do all this cool stuff like if you're a digital marketing person and you're fun to hang out with if you join your chamber of commerce and start going to events you'll get business if you start going to political events, you'll get business. Like there are people who are involved in politics at very high levels tend to have a lot of money. Now, given there's people who show up to like local Republican meetings who don't have two pennies to rub together and they'll try and sell you on like doing marketing for their business for free or for like a cut and they've never built anything and they can't close to save their life. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like the people who actually cut the big checks for politicians, which by the way is public record. Like, go on your local supervisor of elections website and you can find like the people who donate to politics. Uh, the people who donate to politics are people you want to do business for and with because one, they have money two, they have time and three, they probably don't know anything about digital, like in almost every case. Yeah. I feel like once you're on Twitter, you think that your client base needs to come from Twitter. Yeah. Meanwhile, you could get business from a local friend, chamber of commerce, someone on LinkedIn, someone from SEO that finds your website. Like there's, I would say money Twitter is what? Like 0.0001% of your market for digital business. So yeah. if you just expand your horizons by like two degrees away from money Twitter into local business, other avenues on social media, 
you will get business that no one else is getting from Money Twitter simply because you're going after a market, you know, as a young entrepreneur that no one else is pursuing. Dan is the closest thing I have to a Money Twitter generated client, <laughs> like doing that direct mail campaign for him. Everything else is referrals because, and by the way, it this is my other tip. If you're like currently in college and you're like, hey, you know, I want to go into business later, go intern for your state legislature. Like you will make so many crazy business connections, like ridiculous connections. My pastor makes this comment all the time. He's like, you know, everyone. And I'm like, this is not like abnormal for me. This okay. So give a good example of a connection that you made that led to a really cool experience, like Tickets to somewhere, access to somewhere, some kind of cool event that stemmed from a connection that you made in the political space. Oh, so I would say kind of the coolest, the thing that makes me most happy with like political connections is being able to serve people in a way that I like can't monetize. And that really goes back to not being a weirdo and not like, sorry, theme of this podcast. Don't be a weirdo. Um, you know, not everything has to be about making money. And the less you're focused on making more money and the more you're focused on serving, the better off your life is. You'll going end to up be. making more money. As well. You'll end up making more money. So a uh, good example of this was uh, actually through jujitsu. Um, I became friends with this guy, Adam Johnson. Uh, and long story short, Adam Johnson went to the Capitol on January 6th and picked up Nancy Pelosi's podium. <laughs> but because of political connections, I was able to hook him up with... Bigney. Yeah, David Bigney, my <laughs> criminal law client. Um, and because of that, I got to help keep a father of five from going to prison for a very, very long time. He only ended up having to do about 60 days. Um, and that, that built a solid relationship. Uh, you know, just moving forward on that, his wife had some medical issues recently and he told me about it. And I happened to have a, actually through the same guy who his network makes mine look like he went to Harvard law. He was top of his class at Harvard law. He went to Harvard law with like this Elizabeth Warren. No, this is uh, no, this is Jonathan Kilman. Who's a business partner of mine. Great guy. Very cool. Um, and because I knew that he had the connection, I was able to call up and get her into an eye hospital that was able to fix her health issue. Um, so it, it's hard to point to like, hey, this is a cool event. It's like, yeah, I got to go as a VIP to Trump's 2020 announcement. Very cool. Other than the fact that there was no alcohol and you had to sit waiting for like <laughs> five hours after getting through Secret Service, which was painful. Um, it was great people watching, though. The, the crazy people dancing on the floor during like doing YMCA. It was insane. Um, I have a video of that somewhere. But you will get cool opportunities and you'll get to meet cool people. The more you put yourself out there and the more you provide real value. Um, trying to think of like something that is like a lifestyle thing that like had that impact, like but yacht club, something really crazy. Like I if there is one, I, I don't know, man. Like I'm sure there's some cool stuff that I've done, but I've, and this is going to sound like snobby and I don't mean it to sound snobby. The longer you work and the longer you build these networks, the more natural these opportunities seem. And you start to get to a point where you say, like, oh, hey, I got to do this. And people are like, whoa, that's insane. And you're like, that's like 
a kind of normal thing for me. Like, uh, you know, I guess this was kind of a cool moment in politics, and it happened because a good friend of mine who hopefully will become the chairman of Republican Party of Florida this year, uh, if any state REC members are listening to this, uh, you can message me and I can tell you who I support. Um, but uh, he got me VIP tickets to go see Mike Pence and go meet Mike Pence when he was the VP. Uh, Mike Pence happened to be a Fiji, which is my fraternity. Uh, and so I, you know, walked up to him. I gave him the uh, fraternity grip. And he's like, <laughs> he gave it back to me. And he's like, very nice. I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> That's awesome. that, that, that was a cool moment for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've gotten to do a lot of really cool things that, you know, private helicopter ride out to Catalina Island with Warrior Week was really cool. Um, I can't point to anything specific, but I've gotten to like live a very full and cool life. Dude, you just mentioned like six different ones. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, but again, it's like, it starts to become normal. Right. Yeah. And like, and that's a good thing because the more normal these things seem, the less of a weirdo you act like, act. <laughs> yeah. like I, you're I'm not out of place. I'm sure I was acting like a weirdo at P5 when I was 17 years old at a president. Oh, I actually, I know for a fact I was acting like a weirdo because I like ran up to the stage and was like, Ron Paul, you're my hero. Like, you're just the best. And he's like, get this freak away from me. Um, or another cool one I got to do was uh, there was a private Jimmy Buffett concert. Uh, I grew up my in Florida, so love Jimmy Buffett. Uh, got to go to a private Jimmy Buffett concert right up with, on the stage. Jimmy Buffett, like, signed my ticket. My dad's been a Jimmy Buffett fan his entire life and has never gotten that close to Jimmy Buffett. Wow. So um, there, there's lots of cool stuff. But again, it didn't come from like actively seeking those opportunities and being a weirdo and being like, hey, can, can, I, can I do this? Can I, can I, please, yeah, it's please? never like, oh, can I please come? It's like you just get the invitation. Yeah. Because if you asked, they'd be like, no. Yeah. Now, sometimes it is like, hey, I'm working with X group, like going to P5, right? My dad made the call and made the ask. But yeah. it wasn't like, uh, oh my gosh, can I please do this? This is like the <laughs> coolest thing. And it was like, hey, you know, I'd like to do this. Yeah, tell the example of Weitzman with the Gronk situation at the Syracuse game. Like, how did we approach that to make it? Oh, yeah. It Dude, we have a lot of examples of, like, what one connection can do for you. I mean, it's pretty cool. Like, this is a, another example. Like, we met you through Klein Ascension. We ended up playing at still my favorite golf course of all time which is a private country club that you're a member at so that was like our first time meeting in real life and now this um but the one christian's mentioning specifically uh is back in our hometown uh in my hometown binghamton new york there's like a, a business mogul uh his name's adam weitzman he's blown up recently on social media and when we started our podcast back in college he was one of the guys that we thought would be cool to interview uh and similar to you and similar to a lot of people we've actually done interviews with he he had rarely done podcast interviews uh and that kind of like opened uh the door for christian and i to get invited to uh like a syracuse basketball game right where syracuse was playing duke and he hooked it up with really good tickets which uh was in itself like already cool um and then adam had attended the game with a special guest and his name was Rob Gronkowski who as football fans Christian and I were like really like oh shit like this is cool like Adam the guy that brought us here is also here with Rob Gronkowski and 
long story short, we ended up going to a private steak dinner after the game with Rob and all of his brothers and Adam and Coach Beheim. Like, it was just a crazy experience that just resulted from, like, not being out of place interviewing this billionaire just in his office. Yeah. But I wanted to touch on how we approached the situation, right? Because we knew the game was coming up. We knew he was connected with Syracuse and the coach. We weren't like, Adam, can you give us free tickets to the game? We said, hey, you know, the Duke game is coming up. You know, how can we go about getting tickets? Just to bring the idea up to him. We were expecting, you know, he'll plug us with cheaper seats than usual. Instead, he said Merry Christmas, and there were two tickets in our email inbox from their secretary or something. We didn't flat out ask him for them. We said, how can we get tickets? And sure enough, he gave us the tickets. Leading up to the game, we said, hey, is there anything, like, are, are we meeting up at any point before or after the game to just say hi and, you know, spend some time with you? He said, you're on the guest list for a steak dinner after with Rob Gronkowski. And we're like, holy shit, this is insane. And it didn't come by, it's like a mixture of what I'm saying not to do by pressing and asking and what you're saying just comes. It's like a middle ground where you approach it naturally, right? Like, you're not like, hey, can I meet Ron DeSantis next week? You're like oh, is there any way I can get into the rally? And someone who's connected with the rally might just come out and say, oh, here's a few tickets to meet Ron DeSantis, right? It's like a mm -hmm. middle ground of asking for it but not being pushy. Yeah, and I, I think that's the right way to do it. And by the way, asking for it without being pushy, without any expectations, yeah. right? Because yeah. that, that's what you did there is you said, hey, do you know how we can go about getting tickets? And there's so many people who are like, hey, can I get free tickets? Yeah. Like, be willing to pay your own way. Like, if you really want to do something, be willing to pay for it. Like that, that's another key to success is, and it's why I'm convinced, and I don't know if you guys have this opinion too, I'm convinced that the best salespeople are the ones who are easiest to close. Definitely. Definitely. Awesome, man. Well, that wraps it, I think for us, just short on time. Uh, this was an awesome conversation with Jennings. The thing that I love about podcasting is like, we've had conversations before we did a Bible study this morning. Like we've interacted before and like, I feel like I just learned so much more about you and your experiences and, and the value that you provide to the world. So for everyone listening, uh, that's either uh, in politics or in business in entrepreneurship in the money Twitter space, how can they find you, follow you uh, and get involved with the stuff that you're doing? Uh, so you can find me on every social media platform at Jennings Lawton, L-A-W-T-O-N. Um, I don't know if there's going to be subtitles on this, but yeah, yeah, we'll have it in the, the YouTube description. Uh, my last name is DePriest, not Lawton, which uh, was a going thing. There was a Florida political magazine that only ever saw me on Twitter, so he thought that the writer thought my last name was Lawton for a while. Uh, kind of funny in hindsight, but uh, yeah, that's the best way to connect with me. See what I'm doing. Uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. I've become more active on Twitter, uh, working with. Um, the launch social guys to get some of my short form content out there. Uh, but Twitter's really my hub nowadays. So find me there. Sweet. Thanks so much for coming on, dude. This was a fun time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the cigar, yes, by sir. the way. Uh, what, what are you smoking? The Oliva Siri V. Uh, shit. I forgot the name of the, it's the Melania, the Melania. Yeah. Great <laughs> cigar. If you're looking, it's quick cigar plug. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. That does it. That's wrap. Thanks. Guys. Awesome. Thanks Sweet. guys. <laughs>